You'll notice that we had Willie Mertz on our bulletin on the prayer list. Um, Willie died last night. Uh, Willie's a neighbor of mine. He's been living there 30 years. And so I didn't, we didn't have time to take that off of the bulletin. So you might be in prayer for uh, Willie's family. Uh, they just got the news this morning. In fact, his wife, as we left, still hadn't heard it. She got some sleep for the first time in about a week, and they just were going to let her sleep. Also, I think, did you get the Glory Be Girls? Is that in the bulletin? Was that an insert? Okay. Um, I want to make sure to support that. There's a lot of effort that goes into it, so uh, mark that on your calendar. Let's prepare ourselves this morning in our usual fashion. We'll have a few moments of silent prayer, and during that time we have the opportunity to name privately to God the Father any unconfessed sins which ensures the filling of the Holy Spirit. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank You for Your grace. We thank You for Your Word. We pray that You'll be with the Mertz family as they deal with the loss of, uh, of Willie, the father, the husband. Life hands by a thin thread that can be snapped at any time. However, we will not leave this earth until it's God's will. And in the meantime, we have not only the opportunity, but the duty to grow in grace and knowledge, to glorify Christ. A believer that is spiritually ignorant is not redeeming the time. He will be ashamed at the judgment seat of Christ, and he will be a peon for all eternity. He will be in heaven, but there is great loss. So we pray that you will help us to focus, to redeem the time, to use it wisely, as we study and then apply your word. For we pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Well, we're going to the next floor. There may be someone who hasn't seen this. This is just two places that you can choose to live. You can choose to live in the divine domain, the multi-story palace, or you can choose to live in the cosmic compound, the little shack down there below. You notice that the divine domain, the foundation is Jesus Christ. And I don't, know, I don't know if you can see it from where you are, but above this doorway right here, it says rebound. This is confession of sins, known sins to God the Father, which gets you from here to here into the divine domain. Then it's up to you what you're going to do. The more you study, the more you grow the higher you go up into this divine domain. Now, sometimes I forget to do this, but I'm going to remember to do it today. This little ugly thing sticking out right here, we just call that the sin chute because it doesn't matter what floor you're on in the divine domain. Whenever you sin, it's as if the trap door falls out and you go down this tube through this chute right over here into the divine domain. And then you have to already know the method to get back over here into the divine domain, of course, is confession of sin. This is a, a little bit bigger picture of the cosmic compound. 
Notice the TV antenna. I've gone to a few places where there were uh, people who were in abject poverty. I mean, they didn't even have a front door. A lot of them had a thatched roof, but they had a TV antenna sticking up. So here are the floors. You have the rebound, filling of the Holy Spirit, faith rest, hot, humble, objective, and teachable, doctrinal orientation, a personal sense of destiny, personal love for God, impersonal or unconditional love for man, and here we are right below the penthouse, which is occupation with Christ. So all these other things have to be in place before you can be occupied with Christ. The thing of it is, is there are people, many people, who don't know what occupation with Christ means. I mean, what is it all about? So, I think a good place to start is a definition. So, here is the definition. Occupation with Christ, you can just put O slash C is personal love for our Lord Jesus Christ through maximum doctrine circulating in the stream of consciousness. You understand what that means, the stream of consciousness. We all have a subconscious where subconsciousness where that's where things that we're not dealing with at any given time are stored. But whenever something triggers an incident or something that you're dealing with at the, at the current time, then it brings it up out of the subconscious into your consciousness, which we just call your stream of consciousness. It's just like it's a stream. It's things that you're thinking about. So occupation with Christ is personal love for our Lord Jesus Christ through maximum doctrine circulating in the stream of consciousness of the heart the heart is the dominant portion of your soul. It's called the cardia, as opposed to the noose, which is your mind. Your mind is a staging area. It's, the, it's what assimilates information and processes it. And if you receive information and it's not important to you, you just discount it and it never is transferred over into your cardia, into your heart. Because in your heart is where your long-term memory is. This is where your norms and standards and vocabulary storage and all these things are there. It's, it's what you think with. It's who you are. So it has to be transferred from the noose, and it's called gnosis information, information understood. But if it's important to you and you believe it, then it's transferred into your heart and it changes the way you think. It changes your norms and standards. But even when it's there, it has to be cycled back up into your consciousness in order to deal with issues of the day. So if, it's not, if, if information, the spiritual phenomenon that you're going to hear today, if it's not important to you, if you don't believe it, it will be cycled out and you won't remember it and it won't change your thinking because it's just a staging area. So let's go again. Occupation with Christ is personal love. You understand personal love now. For our Lord Jesus Christ, through maximum doctrine circulating in the stream of consciousness of the heart, dominant portion of the soul, by means of the filling of the Holy Spirit. That's where it all starts. 
You can't be spiritual unless you're filled with the Holy Spirit. And I don't know what the, the percentage would be, but if you took some kind of poll and tried to determine how many places, how many churches actually understand what it means to be spiritual as opposed to carnal, and how do you go from carnality into spirituality, and how important is the filling of the Holy Spirit? You would get all types of answers, but very few of them would be correct. The whole fact of the matter is that the filling of the Holy Spirit has nothing to do with emotions. And because people don't know doctrine, they don't understand what the Word of God has to say about the filling of the Holy Spirit. They think it's an emotional experience. And there's a lot of churches that capitalize on that idea. The whole makeup of the church is to stimulate emotions. And people go away, and they're very good at it. They have the lighting. They have the music. The uh, pastor knows how to reach deep inside and really tweak those emotions. And people go away and they think, oh, that was such a wonderful service. I feel so close to God. What did they know? Or what did they learn? Are they able to take the spiritual dynamics of the church age and apply them to their circumstances? No. They don't have a, chance, a clue what they are. Because a person who is growing spiritually has to develop a spiritual vocabulary and the filling of the Holy Spirit is a technical part of that vocabulary as opposed to the indwelling of the Holy Spirit and the baptism of the Holy Spirit. How many believers can distinguish between those three things? Are you able to do it? It's important that you understand these things. It doesn't have anything to do with emotions. So I'd like for you to turn in your Bibles to Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1 and 2. If you don't have a Bible, you can look up here. Hebrews chapter 1 verse uh, chapter 12 verse 1 and 2. In our definition, we said the uh, occupation with Christ has to do with loving Christ. It's pretty hard to love someone that's invisible to us and someone you've never met. So how can we love someone that is invisible to us that we never met? As we're going to see, when you look at the Word, you're looking at Christ. You're looking at Christ's thinking according to 1 Corinthians chapter 2. But we, in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1 and 2, there are some points that get us to the occupation with Christ that we have to focus on. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1, Therefore, since we have so great a cloud of witnesses surrounding us, let us also lay aside every encumbrance, and the sin which so easily entangles us, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, who for the joy set before Him endured the cross. This is going to be more like one of our weekday messages because I'm going to do 
an exegesis of this verse. That means I'm going to look at it from a grammatical standpoint and syntactical standpoint. Not to the degree that I do in some cases, but there are some certain things in here we have to understand if we're going to get down there to verse 2. And in verse 2, right here where it says, fixing our eyes on Jesus. You see that? You know another thing, another way to say that? Occupation with Christ. And so let's see what goes on before we get to that point. First of all, we have therefore. And anytime you see therefore, you ask, what is it there for? The reason it is is because it is connecting us with chapter 11, which is dealing with the spiritual heroes. And chapter 11 is the hero list. Those believers that in their time, in their age, they were occupied with Jesus Christ. And they did phenomenal things. And they believed who Jesus Christ was, and they thought about Him, and their decisions and their actions demonstrated that they had faith that Jesus Christ was who He said He is, and He is going to do what He said He's going to do. That's the therefore. That connects us to Hebrews chapter 11. Since we have so great a cloud of witnesses surrounding us, now, that kind of reads us into chapter 11 that I was talking about. The witnesses surrounding us isn't that we have these believers, uh, most of them are Old Testament believers, looking down and witnessing what's happening to us. I did some research on this, and I don't believe that even if they could look down and see what's going on in our lives, that they would be very interested in it. Sound like some Harleys are passing, doesn't it? Um, they've got bigger fish to fry. They would probably be bored out of their gourd by the time they watch some believers trying to eke out one application of doctrine because most of the time it just isn't happening. That's not what this is talking about. What it, the, the cloud means uh, many witnesses, not just the ones listed in chapter 11, even though they are would be part of it. It's talking about the witnesses that have gone through their life and they have become an encouragement to us. That's the first point on this verse I want you to understand is that believers who have gone before us can be a great encouragement to us. In other words, if they can do it, we can do it. I think of Jacob. You know, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Jacob is the one whose name was changed to Israel. You know what the word Jacob means? Chiseler. He was a cheat. In fact, he conned his brother Esau out of his birthright. He was always conning. And it took a lifetime before he finally became grace-oriented and understand, understood how to trust in Christ and His grace. So we learn from their lives. Here's a, a scripture for you in Romans chapter 15, verse 4. It says, For whatever was written in earlier times was written for our instruction, that through perseverance and the encouragement of the Scriptures, we might have hope. We might have confidence. Listen, people think that 
the believers that are mentioned in the Bible are like super people? They're not. There are a lot of bozos that are... Some of them are even in the uh, list of heroes. And I'm not trying to disparage them, but uh, they're just, they were just folks. They had issues just like you do. They had to believe just like you do. They made decisions based on what they believe, just like you do. And yet the Holy Spirit has seen it uh, proper for these accounts to encourage us that we can do it also. Not under our own power, because they didn't do it under their own power. They did it under the power of the Holy Spirit. So, this is an encouragement to us. A lot of, you know, some people don't ever go into the Old Testament. They think the Old Testament is too complicated. And it, you just can't really learn that much from the Old Testament. I can still remember when I first introduced First Kings, when I taught First Kings. No one knew where I was going. They knew we were finished with where we were. And so I said, okay, open your Bibles to First Kings. And everybody went, did he say First Kings? First Kings? And we went to First Kings, and there was a lot in First Kings, wasn't there? There was a tremendous amount. And First Kings is, is just one of the books. There's so many. One of the favorite times of study was earlier on in my ministry when I was teaching First and Second Samuel, which was called the David series. Wonderful series. Uh, I like David because I can identify with David. Uh, he was earthy. He's also good looking. <laughs> Oh, well, you know, vanity fades. I went to a, a, a wedding this weekend, and I was wearing a tux. I was a little bit hopeful that the tux would kind of make me a little more photogenic. No. Anyhow, there's a lot to learn from Old Testament believers. And if you get into the Old Testament, oh, it's wonderful. Uh, there was a... This was probably... Fifteen years ago, I thought, for some reason, I just had a burning desire to teach the book of Habakkuk. A lot of people have the same idea. Did he say a Habakkuk? Yeah, Habakkuk. It's a short little book in the Bible, but it's very powerful. Habakkuk was just like us. He's never satisfied. The Lord was not strong enough against Israel. He knew that Israel was defying God and he really just uh, confronted God. Uh, what's the deal, God? I mean, you, you can see what's going on. Aren't you going to act? And God said, okay, Habakkuk, I'm going to tell you what I'm going to do. And so he told Habakkuk what he was going to do with regards to Nebuchadnezzar and Babylon was going to come down and just absolutely rend them to pieces. And he wasn't happy then. No, God, that's too much. <laughs> First of all, it's not enough, and now it's too much. Anyway, it's a great uh, book. So we're encouraged by the cloud of witnesses. Um, the next thing we have, you know, I had this to where you could see the notes, but my computer this morning decided it wanted to play a game. It's called, Let's Hide the Pastor's Notes. And... It did a good job of it because I couldn't find them. Well, I did. I saved them, and I thought it was as a file, but it was just as a shortcut. And you can't read a shortcut. Anyhow, 
That's why you're not seeing it on the screen. One of the best ways to develop endurance and encouragement is to get to know the godly men and women of the Old Testament who ran the race and won. If you're having a problem with your family, read about Joseph. If you think your job is too big for you, study Moses. Remember Moses? God said, Moses, come here. Got a job for you. What did Moses say? Oh, no, Lord, I can't do that. I can't speak good. Can't you get someone else? If you're tempted to retaliate, see how David handled the problem. Well, David, he reached the heights and he also reached the depths. He was all over the page. That's why I can identify with him so well. Not that I meet the heights. My heights are much lower than his heights. But I think my lows are pretty much on the same standard as, not the same standard, but the same low. So, you know, another thing that we can do is we have some godly people in this church. When I say godly, I mean that they're not perfect. But it means they have spent a long time studying the Word of God. It's constantly circulating in their stream of consciousness, and they are applying what they've learned. These are beautiful people. And you might just uh, kind of watch these people. You might kind of talk to these people and just see what's going on with them because that is an encouragement to us. It's not only these people that you read in the Bible. There are people within our midst that are learning the plan of God and they are executing the plan of God every single day of their lives. And you'd be remiss not to take advantage of that. Okay, the next phrase we're going to deal with is, let us also lay aside every encumbrance. You see that? That'd be the third line down on my screen. Let us also lay aside every encumbrance. I don't know if you can see it from there, but some of these words are a little bolder. They have kind of a shadow behind them. Those are, you have witnesses, and now we're looking at encumbrance. What are these encumbrances? Well, an encumbrance has to do with a weight. It has to do something that kind of slows you down. Actually, we're talking about distractions. That's the great, the great danger in the Christian way of life. Distractions to the daily routine that one uses to consistently take in the Word of God. Let me tell you something right here. I just want to talk to you folks for a moment. What we've been studying in this whole divine domain isn't something that just happened. You don't go to church on Sundays. You don't even go to Bible class during the week and think, well, you know, I've put in my time. I'm probably around four number six right now. That's not the way it happened. You have to understand. This is part of the the personal sense of eternal destiny. You have to understand why you're here and that God wants to, you to glorify Him. And the only way He can glorify you is for you to grow up spiritually, to know something. The way that we are able to acquire this personal sense of destiny, the way we are able to matriculate up these different floors to the penthouse is by making a concerted Effort, making concrete decisions. I'm talking about in your daily routine, if you don't have a spot for doctrine that you make every single day, you're not going to get to the top. And if you don't get to the top, you're going to miss out. But you don't know that until 
you start consistently taking in the Word of God. That's why I'm talking about the distractions. Distractions are the are the big, uh, the big boogeyman in this whole thing. Now I want you to think just a minute about your daily routine. Don't worry about other people's. Just think about yours. Do you have a slot? Do you have a time carved out that is absolutely imperative? It's sacrosanct. That means nothing interferes with that. Some of you may be morning people, but some of you may be late night people. Whatever it is, you have to make a conscious decision to get doctrine, get into God's Word. You don't necessarily have to open your Bible and read it. That's, of course, I would recommend it. But you can go to a, a website. You can go to a booklet. Some way, listen to a tape, listen to a CD, watch a DVD. Something, somehow, you need to get that spiritual nourishment into your soul every single day. And that's what starts to really put on the afterburner as far as growing spiritually. And Satan doesn't like that. And what's going to happen is there are going to be major distractions. Because if you're distracted, then you're not going to maintain that, that growth that is so imperative. You know, I don't know. I don't want to know if you have a committed time to take in the Word every day. But I'm telling you, if you don't, you're missing out. I'll tell you, for me, for some reason, when I get up in the morning, it's quiet, and that's when I, I, am, I can really focus. I can just, I, I do a whole lot of things in the morning. And a, a lot of, that's when I do a lot of my study time that is not what I'm teaching you. If you think that the only time I study the Bible is what I'm teaching you, <laughs> I'm sorry, I just have to laugh because that's not the case. I've got so many irons in the fire, spiritually speaking, on issues that I'm dealing with, things that I want to know. I have wonderful, uh, up-to-the-moment, cutting-edge Bible software. And I will be searching out something that didn't have to do with what I'm teaching on a Sunday or a Tuesday or Wednesday or Thursday. And I'll hit something. I, I didn't know that. There I go down that, that trail, that, that rabbit trail. That's personal study. That is strengthening me personally, not just what I teach you. You need to be the same way. I mean, a lot. Of, do you ever reread your notes, or do you ever uh, go over, listen to a CD after you've already heard the message? No, that's interesting. If you think that you get everything the first time, all you have to do to prove that that's a fallacy is just listen to it again. In fact. This, this is taped, and whenever this service is over, what we could do, and don't, don't panic, we're not going to do this, but I'm saying if we did, we could say, okay, pastor's going to go back to his office, whatever he's going to do, and we're just going to put it up on the screen, and we're going to have the same service again. You just had it, and now we're going to see it again. And I can guarantee you, if you're concentrating, you're going to hear things and learn things that you didn't hear the first go-around. But people think, well, I go to church. You have to be plugged in. Plugged in means every single day you have to carve this time out and say, nobody interferes with this. You see, God demands that He's number one in your life. How can He be number one in your life 
when you haven't even committed any particular time to Him. And any time, in fact, when someone comes around, which is where we're going next with the next with the distraction, and says they've got something better or more interesting, boom! Forget about church, forget about Bible class, forget about God. Let's go out and have fun. I will, the TV was on last night when I was studying, and this this there's one commercial that just I want to grab this guy and choke him. It's a hair hair commercial, you know, grow hair. Now, just in case you're wondering, I shouldn't even have to tell you, I don't have any grow uh, hair growing pills or anything. All you have to do is see. So I wasn't getting information off this. It's okay if you do. If, you, if you're bald and you want more hair, well, buy whatever you want and smear it on. Uh, get a toupee. Spray it on. It doesn't matter. It's what's underneath that that counts, you know, under this scalp. Anyway, this is what the guy said. He's, he's a real cool uh, player, see. And he says, look at these. They show the picture of the guy before and after. And, you know, he's bald and he's got hair. And he says, now, after all, isn't, this is what life is all about, isn't it? Having fun and looking good. And I'm thinking, this is what people are hearing. They think that life is all about having fun and looking good. As if you can't have one without the other. And I'm thinking, how many, especially younger people, that have no doctrine, and they hear this. This is, this is the only message they're hearing. And they're living their life trying to get as much fun and look as good as they possibly can. And they think successful is if you really look good, you know, like a movie star or model or somebody like that, and you're wealthy so you can have all the fun you want. Isn't that a little selfish? Where does other people come in? Where does God come in in that whole mess? He's gone. Forget that. So we have to carve out this time. So the first distraction that I'm going to give you is social distractions. Social distractions means that family and friends are wonderful to have, but they can easily become a distraction. Family and friends. A lot of times they don't mean to, but they can be. If they take you away from your doctrinal routine, in fact, I have this. I want you to get used to this term. You need to develop a doctrinal routine. Your DR. Everybody always wants to be a doctor. Well, you can be a DR. You can have that doctrinal routine. And if you don't have one, you would be amazed how much it's going to change your life, how much better your days are going to be. Everybody says, well, have a good day. And then you leave God out of it and you're living by your emotions. You're mad at everybody. You're mad at God. You're worried. You're, you're just in a mess. Take that time. Be a good idea to pray, too, during that time. In fact, forget about occupation with Christ. If you, don't, if you have not already developed a doctrinal routine... If you're not consistently praying, faith resting, all, the, all these things, then you don't have a doctrine routine. So friends and, and relatives, they mean well, but they can, they can get you away from doctrine. Something comes up. Now, I'm, don't think that I have a clipboard and I take names when people aren't here. 
Because whether you're here or not is totally an issue between you and God. It's nobody else's business. But I'm telling you, so many believers miss a golden opportunity. Because when friends ask them, oh, it's a special event. I don't know what floats your boat. In fact, it might be a boat. It might be, well, i got this new, new boat. Let's go out uh, water skiing or let's go sailing or whatever it is. Whatever they want you to do and you say, I'm sorry, I can't do it because that's Bible class night and I don't miss. And they say, well, it's just one time. Can't you make an exception? And you say, no. You know, no, no reflection on you. I mean, I'd love to do it. Sounds like it's going to be great. But I've got a DR. What's a DR? Well, that's a doctrinal routine. And my doctrinal routine is when that church door is open and there, there's someone there teaching doctrine, I'm going to be there. That's my doctrinal routine. And nothing interferes with that. And some people will say, oh, well, you know, <laughs> how are you going to keep any friends that way? And it's true. It might reduce your friends a bit. But you know what else it will do? It will send a message. It will let them know that as far as you are concerned, there is nothing more important than your relationship with the Most High. In order to maintain that relationship, you have to have dialogue with Him in prayer. You have to continue to learn and grow. In fact, I got this. This is a good time to read this little paragraph here. This is from the Grace in Focus newsletter dated May and June 2010. And it's talking about someone that has put God first. Now, this guy is a little legalistic. He's a little off on, uh, as you will see when I read this, but his motivation is right. So here, I'll, I'll read it now. It's Eric Liddell refused to run his best event, the 100-meter race, at the 1924 Paris Olympics because it was on a Sunday. Now, we know that there is no holy day like there was in the, uh, the feast days of Israel and so forth. But he had a relationship with God, and what he was doing is not let anything interfere with that. He may not have understood liberty and may not understood that the church is not under Israel's rules, but he conducted his life to please the Lord. As consolation for not running the 100-meter race, he was allowed to run the 400-meter race for which he had not trained. He ran clutching a piece of paper with 1 Samuel chapter 2, verse 30 on it. This is what it says. Them that honor me, I will honor. He clutched that in his hand as he ran the 400-meter race that he had not trained for. He not only won, but set a world record. Eric Lytle's courage and desire to please the Lord has motivated many believers to seek a closer walk with the Lord. Did you notice the song we sang tonight or today? Just a closer walk with Him. The message is powerful enough that the movie Chariots of Fire was produced and received wide acclaim. Living as unto the Lord can help other believers see Him more clearly also. See, you not only have the benefit of having all of these witnesses in the Bible... You have, in some cases, witnesses, role models that are doing the same thing because they have carved out a niche, a time niche. They have a doctrinal routine. You have the opportunity of benefiting from that, but you 
uh, also have the opportunity to be one yourself. Even though uh, Eric Liddell uh, didn't understand all the doctrine, at least he was occupied with Christ to that degree. So, friends and families can be a distraction. And you, By the way, if you do decline uh, in, an invitation or to do something because you're going to go to Bible class or church, whatever it may be, don't do it in a sanctimonious tone like you're better than someone else. You should really be conciliatory in your, in your manner. Saying, you know, I really appreciate it and don't think that I uh, wouldn't like to go. I'd like to be with you and all, but it's just that I have uh, a doctrinal routine and, and nothing interferes with it. The next type of uh, distraction is economic distraction. Most people have to work in order to make a living and there's nothing wrong with that. But you must make time for doctrine. If you're working so much that, it, that you don't have a doctrinal routine or it's interfering with your doctrinal routine, you, you need to change something. Because you can work to the degree that you've left doctrine out of your life and you'll wind up maybe more monetarily benefited, but it's at a great cost. There is nothing... Nothing, nothing more important than you growing in grace and knowledge by taking in God's Word. I'm really thankful to the parents or whoever it is that are bringing the young people on Wednesday nights. To me, that's saying they understand that doctrine is more important than anything else that their young people, their children could, could possibly receive. And they're making an effort. They're bringing them here. And I appreciate that. The next uh, distraction is pleasure or entertainment distraction. Nothing wrong with having fun on the weekend or going on vacation, but some believers make a habit of putting entertainment before doctrine. And I've got a short list here. Ball games, fishing, hunting, beach house, camping, movies, TV, whatever it is. Uh, entertainment is fun. I think there's times when we need just to kick back and relax, whatever that may be. But if it interferes with your doctrinal routine, something's got to go. And it's not your do- doctrinal routine. It has to be whatever entertainment there may be. Because if you don't, and there are people like the the bozo that I was talking about that said, what is life? He sounded like uh, uh, Clinton, too. Uh, he made it worse. I can't talk like Clinton. I wish I could. He says, isn't that what, isn't that, I can't do it, I'll try uh, Anyhow, uh, you can, some people think that's what life is all about. Let's eke as much fun out of life as we can. But you see, whether it's relationships or whether it's fun, entertainment, whatever, you're not going to really have a good time if your relationship with God is not right. Years ago, I went to Colorado with a church group, and uh, they asked me to speak there, and I had chosen something to speak about, but after watching the people, I spoke on this very issue, that they were there, they were in the playground of America, they had everything you could possibly have in order to have fun, and all they did was complain and worry and carry on. And so I said, you know, so many of you ought to be ashamed of yourselves 
because you can't enjoy yourself because your relationship with God isn't right. They were talking about each other behind each other's back. They were worried about the bills. They were worried about the children had taken over the house. Just on and on. And I said, that's it. This is what I'm going to talk about. And I didn't care whether they liked it or not. As it turned out, they liked it. I was surprised. I stomped on their toes. Nobody could walk by the time we left, and they all thought, this was great. I guess they needed to hear this. Even if you leave the doctrinal routine out, you're wasting your money on entertainment because it's not going to satisfy you. Because you're going to be full of mental attitude sins. You're not going to know how to be spiritual. You're going to, it's just going to be a mess. The next one is people and personality conflicts. Some people get angry at someone in the church and will stay away from doctrinal teaching in order to avoid seeing them. Well, that's smart, isn't it? I say that tongue-in-cheek, by the way. I've seen this happen before. I have gone to churches before where two people were angry at each other. They would stand at the door, and everybody's leaving, and everybody says hello, I mean, you know, goodbye and all this, except those two, when they saw it, you know, just stomp out of the church and not ever speak. Of course, everybody saw what was going on. Let me tell you something. That's not going to happen in this church. If I see that happening, we're going to have a little talk in my office. And these two people are either going to get right or they're going to get gone. Because that's a poison that can spread. It can also be the other way around. It can be someone that you really dislike keeps you away from your doctrinal routine. Or it can be someone that you adore. I guess that one is so big, especially for people who are not married and there's someone attractive at church or, excuse me, not at church, someone that doesn't is interested in the Word. It's extremely difficult when you're in, in the infatuation stage and this big hunk or this luscious doll says, well, won't we go do so-and-so? And you say, well, it's Bible class night. I know, but can't we just go this one time? You know how the ladies, you know, they, and you say, oh, well, I guess so, just that one time. So you go that time. And the next time, well, it's just one more time. Next thing, it's just another time. Before you know it, your routine is gone. So if personality conflicts are, on the other side, a personality that you adore can distract you. I heard of a case one time where a guy went to a Sunday school class and the Sunday school teacher asked him a question and he answered it and the other guys laughed at him and he never darkened the door of another church and that was 40 years ago. 40 years! That's all it took. Uh, that, that's beyond the pale as far as I'm concerned, but that can happen. So these distractions are monumental. The next thing we're going to see, let's go back to it. Therefore, since we have so great a cloud of witnesses surround us, let's put aside every encumbrance and the sin which so easily besets us. I want you to underline that word sin. But you'll notice it says not just sin, it says the sin. The sin. What sin is that talking about anyway? What sin did that writer of Hebrews have in mind? 
He may have been referring to a particular area of weakness. Is that what he was talking about? I mean, you, we all do have an area of weakness, you know. I don't know what yours is, but I know what mine is, and I'm not telling. I don't have to. Most people know what it is anyway. Is that what he's talking about? That sin that so easily entangles us? Or could he have been referring to one of the two sins that we all must struggle with from time to time? First one, arrogance. Every one of us are fat-headed, arrogant sometimes. Even you adorable ladies. You can set your jaw. And we have to battle that every day. Because that's our nature. We're selfish. We want it our way. And we want everybody else to be the way we think they ought to be. If they're not, we have to be, some of us are very tempted to tell other people, uh, you're not exactly living the role model that I have designed for you, so you better straighten up. Let's get, let's get with it. They are not fruit producers. They are fruit inspectors. If you're not pro- providing your quota, they will let you know. That might be their weakness. And then what are you going to do? Or here's the other one. And I think this is probably it in the context of this verse. I think it's unbelief or doubt, the sin that so easily besets us. That kept the Israelites out of the promised land. And it can keep us from reaching the top floor of the divine domain. Do you know that in uh, chapter 11, the one that preceded this, has the word by faith 21 times in that chapter? And so I think one of the biggest problems is just people not believing it. I've done the best I could in substantiating it through the Word that our time here is very short on this earth. And God has something much larger for us. When this life is over, life goes on. The real you, your soul lives on. And the decisions that you make now are going to determine what that future is going to be like. And I, I just keep on explaining how important that is. You're going to stand before Jesus Christ. He's going to evaluate your life. What did you do with the time? Did you have a doctrinal routine? Did you make time to have a relationship with me? Or were you out one of those fun seekers? And I think probably why a lot of people will never make a doctrinal routine and keep it and never reach occupation with Christ is because they really don't believe it. They don't really believe that's important. What's more real to them are the things of the details of life. Their problems are more real than God's grace. And I'm here to tell you that those people are going to miss out. And I think that's the sin that so easily besets. Next phrase is, and let us run. And let us run. Do I have it up there? Oh, okay. There you go. And let us run with endurance, the race that is set before us. Now, the word race is treko in the Greek. That's T-R-E-C-H-O. It's a verb. It's present active subjunctive. That means we are to not just run a, 
five-yard dash. <laughs> oh, I'm sorry. That's, it just came to mind. That's what some people do. You know, they come to church. I did my part. I ran the race. Yeah, five yards. Um, it means we're continued to do it throughout our last. So the present tense means that we must keep on running, and the subjunctive mood, mean, mood means that running is only a potential. If we don't lay aside every encumbrance and the sin that so easily besets us, we won't run. It's amazing to me how many believers, even, and I'm not just saying unbelievers, I'm saying believers, don't even know that they're in a race. It's like going to the horse races, you know, the little stalls that they are in, they blow the whistle, whatever, all the things over now, right here, they come tearing out. And most believers, if you went to see a believer's race like that, when it, the doors open like that, he would just walk out. Now, that's really exciting, isn't it? I, I bet the angels just think, oh, man, give me a, They're not interested in this guy. They just saunter. They just meander through life. Race! And they don't get it. The next word is with endurance. And the word for endurance, the Greek word is hupomone, H-U-P-O-M-O-N-E. It's a noun, genitive singular feminine. And it means perseverance, patience, or endurance. That word means all that. You've got to be patient. You know, you don't even have to be patient with yourself. That's hard. <laughs> it's hard for me. I'm not, I'm not patient with anybody, even myself. Why did it take me so long to do this? Why did it take me so long to do that? An endurance. It's an endurance run. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 36 says, You need, excuse me, you have need of endurance so that when you have done the will of God, you may receive what is promised. And that's the problem. These guys that come out of the starting gates and they're just. You know, they're looking around. They might not even get out. They might just, I'm comfortable here. I think I'll, there's some bars here. I can sit down on this bar. It's kind of shady. They don't know that God has promised things. They don't know the promises. There's a lot of promises in the Bible. It will, I can guarantee you it will change your life. When you really get your mind around the idea that when you shut your eyes for the last time, you're out of here one way or the other, that there's a lot that's going to happen. And every one of us is going to go through it. And it's too late for some. It's too late for my neighbor. He woke up in eternity last night. Endurance. There are so many tests, so many obstacles, hurdles, and so forth. It says the race that is set before us. Most believers have no idea they're in a race. You know, they're just meandering through life with no goal or purpose. Just let's have fun and let me get my hair all right. One reason they're not running is because they're not aware of the prize. The prize. 
They have no goal. Have you ever seen a race where there wasn't a winner or loser? That's what a race is, isn't it? Doesn't usually the one who wins the race acquire something? They're not training and doing all this just so they can say, well, yeah, you won the race. That's good. Let's just move on. There's always a goal. There's always a prize. Turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 24. First Corinthians chapter 9, verse 24, and Paul begins this as he always does. Not always, but a lot of the times he does. First Corinthians chapter 9, verse 24. Do you not know? <laughs> Paul is always surprised. Because you, do you know why he says that? Do you know why he's saying, do you not know? Because he's already taught it. They should know it. And now he's having to teach it again. And he's saying, don't you know this? Don't you remember? Last month we were into all this. I can't clap my hands with this watch. Do you not know that those who run in a race all run, but only one receives the prize? Run in such a way that you win. If you don't have a Dawson routine... You're not, not only are you not going to run, you'll be one of those still trying to figure out how to get out of the starting gate. And everyone who competes in games exercises self-control in all things. They then do it to re receive a perishable wreath, but we an imperishable wreath. Now, the wreath there is a crown. A lot of believers don't even know that there's a crown. There's a reward, a crown. The Bible says crown, but it's actually, this is right, wreath. It's a Stephanos. And it's awarded to those who overcome, those who continue to reach the high ground of spiritual maturity to make it all the way up to the tenth floor of the divine domain. They are going to be the movers and shakers for all eternity. And so you've got to run. And the running is tantamount to carving out a niche of time, having a doctrinal routine, and studying and consistently taking in God's Word. That's how you're running. That's how you run the race. You're not running against other believers. There's no competition between believers. The thing that's going to trip you up is yourself because you'll get distracted and you're no longer running. When you're not getting doctrine, you're not running the race. We're, get, we're, running, we're running against distractions. That's the foe. Anything that would keep you from taking in doctrine are the distractions. That's what we have to watch out for. Anything that would stymie our spiritual growth. So in a race, there are winners and losers. It's true that, a believer, that the believers race as well. In other words, in a race, everybody can't win, can they? Now, in, I don't know what they do in elementary school. They probably give trophies to everybody that just says, I'm on the track team, puts on shorts, okay, here's your trophy. But in reality, you got to. there's only going to be one who wins the race. And so there's going to be winners and losers, aren't there? And yet when you try, at least my experience is when I say that there's going to be 
winner and loser believers, that you are either a winner or loser believer, depending upon whether you have a doctrinal routine, depending upon what your attitude is towards God and His Word, will determine whether you're a winner or a loser. And a lot of people vibrate because they think, oh, well, you know, that's offensive to think that there can be a believer who is a loser. Well, there's plenty of, there's, there's a lot more loser believers than there are winner believers. And I'm going to tell you this. There are going to be untold numbers of loser believers in heaven. See, people think, oh, well, you're a winner. You're going to heaven. Well, right. I mean, that's a done deal. But what are you going to be like in heaven? Are you going to be able to serve? What, what is your honors and privileges and opportunities? And do you have crowns? And what are you going to be doing for all eternity? Well, I'm going to be sitting in my, in my room watching a heavy, heavenly TV, watch everybody else doing all the great things because I was a dope in time. I never got it. I was trying to grow my hair and have fun. That's about it for a lot of people. They're so proud. They have shiny hair. Pretty teeth. They're going to stand before Jesus Christ and they're going to see what they lost. Uh, I'm out of time, but I'm not going to stop because I've got a couple more little deals here and we'll be done. The Bible tells us to be careful how we walk in Ephesians 5.15. It commands us to run well in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 24. And one day it tells us we're going to fly. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 and verse 17. So we are to walk. You know, walk in a way that's pleasing to the Lord. This tells us, remember we just went 1 Corinthians chapter 9 tells us that we are to run the race to win. Those who are walking right and running right are going to fly. Well, we're all going to fly. But some of us are going to fly places where others aren't going. And I want, listen, if I'm going to have wings, if, I'm a, if I can have the opportunity to go see that red spot on Jupiter, I want to go. I don't want anyone to tell me, well, you know, you... you you don't have that opportunity. That privilege is off limits to you because you were a, a dumb bunny on earth. And so you're in heaven. It's wonderful. Streets of gold, all that. But you can't eat from the tree of life. You can't serve God. You're not going to sit on the throne. You're not going to have a uniform of glory, the order of the morning star. Your, your name isn't going to be putting on, put on the columns of the history in, in heaven. That's right. Some of you are looking at me like, what is he talking about? I'm talking about reward. I'm talking about what we can look forward to. Fixing our eyes on Jesus. This word is aphorao. A-P-H-O-R-A-O. It's a participle present active. It means to look away steadfastly or intently towards a distant object. Metaphorically, to behold in the mind, to fix the mind on something or someone. How can we fix our eyes? It says, fix, do, you know, do you see that? Fix our eyes on Jesus? How can we fix our eyes on Jesus? I don't see Him, do you? 
Oh, now I see Him. You got it? We see Christ in the Word. That's how we fix our eyes on Him. That's how we run the race. And if you have a doctrine routine, then you're running it as to win. The author and perfecter of our faith. The word author suggests that Jesus pioneered the faith of Christians. He also perfected it. He did it absolutely successful. I was going to finish, but I can't. Because the next point, I don't want to, I don't want to rush. So, we'll do this next Sunday. In the meantime, I'd like everyone please to bow their heads, close their eyes. I want you to know that Jesus Christ went to the cross for your sins. He took care of the sin problem for the entire world. He died, was resurrected, and offers eternal life to anyone who will trust Him and Him alone for it. Anyone that may be here and not sure about whether they're going to heaven or not, you can know for absolutely sure. All it takes is receiving the gift of eternal life. You receive it by simply believing in Jesus Christ and His atonement. And in that moment, you are born again. Your ticket to heaven is guaranteed. Now it's an issue as to whether you're going to spend your life in the cosmic compound or whether you're going to advance all the way to the top floor of plus H, God's happiness on the penthouse. Your decisions will determine where you're going to be and what you are going to be for all eternity. Now, Father, thank You for this time You've given us. We're so thankful for Your Word and Your grace, Your plan, all that You have for us. Help us to keep to our doctrinal routine so that we can have the relationship with You that will not only glorify You, but is the abundant life that You would have us live. We thank You for this and pray it all in Christ's name. Amen.